starting a new series today called Blurred Lines. Everybody say Blurred Lines. Come on, I'm not talking about uh, a way to say blood. I'm talking about Blurred Lines where you can't really see it. Not too blurred, but the Blurred Lines. And, uh, you know, the other day I, I went to get an inspection sticker on my car uh, because I had it lapsed. And I forgot my glasses, and um, and so it, I figured once I got there, I was like, oh, I won't be any big deal. And then the guy walks out with this clipboard for like 17 pages. I was like, man, what am I giving you, a kidney? I mean, what's, you're just going to change up the inspection sticker. And, and, uh, and I looked down at that, that board. He says, sir, I need you to initial there, 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 sign right there, 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 there. And I was like, I looked down at that board, and it was like, anybody hope for you know what I'm talking about? Okay, thank you, thank you. And so I, I was like, bro, I, I'm not. I can't see that. He goes, we just need to sign right there. It's like, look, bro, that's good with your 2020 vision, but I can't see it. It's blurry to me. So thank God one of you guys had been there the week before and left your glasses there. So he had it behind the counter, and I was able to put them on and, and to be able to sign it. And, and I guess what I, what I want to do with this series is I want to attack the things that are a little blurry in our culture and in our generation today. And I want us, I want us to put on uh, the eyes of Jesus through his word so we can clear up some of the things that are kind of blurry. And so today we're going to talk about where we came from, and then next week we'll talk about the different religions and how to get to heaven, and then the following weeks we'll talk about sexuality, homosexuality, you know, GOBT stuff, and what does the Bible say about that? Let's put on the eyes of Christ and look through his word and see where truth really lies. And let's clear up some of those things that are blurry. So let me pray over you real quick. We'll go into the word. Father, I bless your people. I thank you, Lord God, that your word will not return void. And when we leave here today, not only are we going to be clear about where we came from, but also the attack on that very belief system. And Lord, I just pray right now that, that our young people, our, 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 our middle-aged folks, our older folks, Lord God, will be so encouraged. And Lord God, somehow, give me the strength to articulate your word, Lord God. And I just I just pray your blessings over the hearers, and that Lord God, we will leave here stronger. In Jesus' name, everybody shout it, amen. Everybody say amen. And I just want you to know, this is not my expert field of study. That's why, coming Saturday, six days from now, I brought an expert in to really talk to you about um, the questions of evolution and creation science. And some of these people pieces that are a little confusing. And uh, Dr. Dennis Lindsay, he sought after all over the nation uh, to come teach on these things. He's probably one of the top five, six, seven uh, in, in the world on the subject, and he has agreed to come sit in our auditorium, teach us, and then answer questions. So you don't want to miss that. It's a free seminar. Again, a little, a little shameless plug. Uh, 9.30 to 11. You need to spend that hour and a half. And so when you talk about where we came from, there are three predominant views. And I'm going to give them to you in the order of the most popular by way of those who believe it here in the United States of America. Number one is evolutionism. And that is basically that humanity evolved over millions of years from a simple form to a complex form. And roughly 57% of our population believe in evolution, that that's where we came from, that we evolved. The second and the next most popular is creationism, which is what I know. And that is the belief that the living God created us according to the biblical account in the book of Genesis chapter 1. And that's about 42% of the population. And then the third <coughs> belief is that we came from aliens. It's the third most popular belief out of all the stupid, excuse me, all the thoughts that are out there. This is the third most popular, and it's really gotten some uh, some movement recently because Dr. Ellis Silver wrote a book that humans uh, are not from here. 
is, I think, the title of this book. I don't know if I have it yet. Humans are not from Earth. This is the title of this book. And uh, his premise is that we were planted here by super aliens because we had been bad at some point in the universe and needed to be punished. And we've been sent here. And he proves that because we can get sunburns. And we're sunburned because we were never supposed to be here. We're in the wrong environment. We were supposed to be on another planet. I don't know which other planet he thinks actually sustains life that we're supposed to be on. But we're going to be. And that, the reason why we have backaches is because the gravity is too heavy on us because we were actually supposed to be from another planet. The aliens brought us here and punished us as a. Humanity. I just want to point out, he has a doctorate degree. Point that out. Doctorate degree. That man's, anyway, I said I believe that alone. Because some of y'all get quiet because you, you can almost believe in aliens. You can tell the truth. You've been watching that, that under the globe, the under the dome thing and all your X Files and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that. I'm going to debunk some of that juice today. But, and so, the, really, the two biggest, uh, obviously, uh, not quite split down the middle, much more for evolutionism than there is creation science. And, uh, and, and you say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I'm in church, so obviously I believe God created this. Well, I, and that probably is true, and, and that would be, I would be grateful to know that most of you believe that here at the church. But the problem is, is that we live in a world where the majority of people believe that we came or we evolved. And so as a result of that, that has a whole dynamic on our world and what we live. It has a dynamic on politics. It has a dynamic on what, where life is and what matters and what, and what purpose in life is all about. And so I thought for a moment, if you don't mind having just a kind of a moment, that we'll go straight into the history of how evolutionary, uh, evolution's power came into the U.S. So, so Darwin, Charles Darwin, um, you know, invented the theory of evolution. He made it public 150 years ago in 1859, publication of the origin of species by means of natural selection. It didn't make an impact here in the United States right away because we were in the middle of a civil war. And then the reconstruction of, uh, of our nation and rebuilding of our nation after all of the split of the country and rebuilding of all that. So as we came into the turn of the 19th century, you know, into the 20th, 20th century and into the 1900s, we then interacted there in the 1920s. We went to war, World War I. I said it home in the first service. Lost my mind. And uh, as we were engaged in that, obviously uh, things began to stir a little bit more in reference to our desire to be more, uh, to be better, excuse me, at science. Because we realized during World War I and World War II that, uh, you know, especially with the dropping of the atomic bomb in World War II, that science was going to be the answer to be a superpower. And so we made it a precedence. And so somehow evolution presented itself, the theory of evolution presented itself as a more scientific way. In fact, there was great debate over evolution being a scientific uh, way of uh, moderating or excuse me, of articulating what has transpired over the years, and whereas uh, the Bible was an archaic mythological piece, even it began to come under attack that it was old school religion trying to control humanity. And you know, in the roaring 20s, what the nation began to be like, we, we, we changed and we saw much more of less, lascivious living. We saw, we saw a lot more perversion. We saw a rise in, in alcohol and all these guys coming from the war and all these marriages that have been split up during that process. And all these things began to stir. And we, and we see that these things are transpiring culturally. And so just it became natural to embrace. Well, let us not embrace the thought that God created us. Let's embrace that we must have come from something else. It worked better scientifically and that's how it was built. It began to be built as a more scientific way of seeing where we came from. And so science 
science began to be the argument that evolution theory was right and that the creation theory was more of just a mythological or biblical thing and there needed to be separation of church and state and that church should believe what it believes but science proves this and that became the popular uh, ideology behind evolution and so we saw this great debate, this great competition, this great uh, uh, battle between evolution and creation science. In fact, in 1925, Billy Sunday, Sunday School, Billy Sunday, who was probably the most popular uh, preacher of the era in 1925, he made this statement in the middle of a revival meeting, which I think is hilarious. He says, I don't believe the old illegitimate theory of evolution. He didn't use the word illegitimate. I replaced it so you didn't think I would curse you at service. Um, he said, I believe that I am just as God Almighty made me. He said, I believe that I am just as God Almighty made me. It began to be within the, the, the scope of most preachers and, 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 and most evangelicals that evolution was going to literally destroy our nation because it would give a premise that God does not exist. And as a result of that, that we would begin to live, our children, our children's children, would begin to live lives unsubmitted to the living God, begin to live lives that were um, full of wickedness and perversion and so forth and so on. That was the premise by which they began to compete with. And so what happened was, they, then the court systems took it on because our scientists, 1950, 1957, uh, where, where, uh, 1950s, so we're in the mid-50s, when Russia put Sputnik on the moon, the United States said, oh, you know, you did not. And so we made a big push to be uh, better in sciences, and we began to really push our young people, the smartest minds, and because of that, the theory of evolution began to start taking preeminence amongst the scientific community. They accepted it as truth. The friend, when you accept the base premise as truth, and it's a lie, then all the outcomes, therefore, are going to be lies as well. And so that's where the difficulty came in with morality. That's where the difficulty came in. And But still, we were a nation that wasn't quite ready to give up teaching our young people that God created us until we see in the 60s where we removed the Bible from, from schools and, and then our brightest and youngest minds are now being, it, it is a statement for the last 50 years Years, that evolutionary theory is the theory from which we came from, how we evolved from nothing into the complex beings that we are today. And so it became, the argument was more over science, that evolutionary theory was a science, and that the Bible was religion and they needed to be separated, and that's where evolution got its power, was on the premise or the pretense that it was more scientific. Friend, that's just not the case. In fact, I'd like to show you a quick video that kind of proves that point and maybe give you a kind of a, an interaction, a, you know, logical way of thinking as, uh, as we present this video for just a second. Got it? 
So, does that mean historical science is unimportant? Not at all. Let's drop an example down here for a minute and take a look at the Eiffel Tower. You know, that 19th century Parisian monument designed by Gustav Eiffel to stand a thousand and three feet tall, which was built as the entrance for the 1889 World's Fair, and is still the tallest building in Paris today, visited by millions of people in here? Yeah, that one. Well, guess what? Everything I just told you was true, but how do we test it? Well, applying observation science, we can, of course, observe the Eiffel Tower anytime we're in Paris. It's here in the present. Then we can continue by testing the height and comparing it to all the other structures in Paris and confirm the claim that it is indeed the tallest building in Paris. But that's the extent of the kind of facts that can be proved by observational science in reference to this claim. How do we really know that Gustav designed it? How do we really know it was built in the 19th century as an entrance to the 1889 World's Fair? How do we really know how many people visited it? That's all in the past. It can't be repeated. For that kind of information, we need to go outside the limits of observational science and discover what has been communicated to us through historical documents and eyewitness accounts. And furthermore, we have to believe those eyewitnesses and documents are trustworthy. The same is true when we talk about the origin of the Earth. The Earth is here. We all agree with that. So, does observational science confirm that the world was created by God? And or are there trustworthy documents and eyewitness accounts that confirm it? Well, let's take the last part first. In short, what we're really asking is my original question. Was anybody there to observe it? The answer is yes. God was there, and he told us how he created He inspired people to write down his very words that became books that were compiled into a complete book called the Bible, which has been verified over and over again, and has demonstrated itself to be totally trustworthy in all it claims and teaches. Even secular scholars will concede the Bible accurately record historical events. Anyway, we have the most trustworthy revelation from the most trustworthy eyewitness. Now, what about the observational science? Does it confirm the Bible? Yes. And what's extremely important to realize is the observable fact that the universe is logical and orderly. That makes sense only if its creator is logical and has imposed order on its creation. It doesn't make sense at all if the universe is just an accident and an explosion. Also, our minds are able to comprehend many things about the universe, and that's only possible if the creator of the mind gave us the ability and desire to explore the universe. It doesn't make sense if our brains are byproducts of chance because we couldn't trust their conclusions to ever be accurate. And lastly, it only makes sense that we can observe and repeat an experiment if the universe consistently obeys the same laws from day to day, which only makes sense if a lawgiver created it that way and upholds it. So to be bluntly honest, science itself, whether observational or historical, is only possible because God exists and the Bible is true. I could go on, but enough said. Come on, give a hand for that video. That was great. It's like, okay, so let me, let me bring this, this, this step into it. So science is the intellectual practical activity encompassing the systematic, everybody say systematic, systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. So if, if, if evolution theory is so scientific and the Bible is so non-scientific, then the premise that science works from is that there is a system by which they can make experiment, experiments. They can judge whether this is true. In other words, that thing has to keep happening. It had to have happened in the past, and it's happening now in the present to be able to predict the future so that they can call it science. It's a systematic thing, which is built on the laws of nature. Well, the question is, where did the laws of nature come from? In other words, if evolution teaches us that, that it all just evolved and it just single-cell organisms bumped into each other and then from that over millions of years, we became the extreme
supremely complex individuals that we are, our world is, then where did that come from? Where did the laws of gravity come from? Were they not there when the, when the two things bumped into each other? If they weren't there then, then why are they there now? And if they're there now, why aren't they changing in the days ahead? Why? Because God created order. Because order is in the earth. I don't care if a caveman jumped off the side of a mountain. He was going to hit the ground. Just hit the ground below. Just like if I jump off a 10-story building, I'm still going to hit the ground. Why? Because the law of gravity is in place and has been in place. For there to be order, it goes against evolutionary theory. The very basis of what evolution is. Because for there to be order, someone had to give order. Someone had to put order into existence because chaos cannot create order. We've never been able to recreate chaos and cause it to create order. It's not doable. It's not workable. In fact, the law that life brings forth life is in every bit of physics. You cannot take something dead and make something alive through it. It doesn't produce its own life. It life produces life. That is order. Who made that order? God made that order. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says in the beginning, come on, look at it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. See, that if the universe were merely the accident by product of a big bang, then why should it obey orderly principles or any principles at all for that matter? If it's just an accidental explosion, the Big Bang, where did the orderly principles that cause our Earth to rotate on its axis and not move, where, and, and not fall apart, where, where, does, where did the order come from that literally causes your brain to work the way it works day in and day out and day in and day out? If it was constantly evolving, why, why do you even have a physical body? Why haven't we evolved past it? Well, in a billion years, we will, they say. And all of that is still based on the premise that there are natural laws at work. And who put those laws in place? God the Father did. God the Father put those laws in place. He said, Pastor, I believe that I'm a Christian, I'm at church, and so why are you even harping on this? And I'll tell you why I'm harping on this, because you got to catch. There are two destructive powers of evolution that if you don't grasp a hold to, I'm telling you, our kids and our children's children's children will be even more in difficulty in the years to come. If you and I do not grab a hold to this false theology, this false theory, if you will, and debunk it, and let me give you the two big things that will come from this if we allow evolution to continue to permeate the way our children and our children's children think. Number one, if there is no creator, then there's no need for submission. I'll say it again. If there is no creator, there's no need for submission. Why are you in church? There's no creator. You should just go out and stab the first person you see because you want to. What's it matter? You should have sex with anything and everything you want to because it's pleasurable to you. Why would you not do that? If there is no creator, if there is no order to things, then why, if it doesn't matter at the end of it all, why in the world are we even trying to live life in a moral capacity? Why have morality? Why have a speed limit? It doesn't matter. We were not created. We exploded from a bunch of molecules, and then it turned into a little bug thingy, and then turned into a lizard thingy, and then turned into us, the monkeys. Why in the world should we have any submission to a God that doesn't exist because he didn't create us? Oh, but friend, if God created us, come on somebody, then therefore he loves us. 
And therefore, He wants a relationship with us. And if He is Creator, then we are creation, and therefore we submit to that which has created us. Are you with me? Say yes. And so this is the light. So I don't really see the big deal. Well, you will when you start trying to raise your children in an environment where they don't think they need to submit to you or to God because they themselves have been taught throughout their entire educational system that they don't really, they didn't come from anything other than some explosion in space. And so that there is no real thought. And so they're doubting that. See, the problem is not having faith. The problem is having unbelief fighting against our faith. That's where we're at in the world today. And 57% of our culture believes that there is no creator, if you will. Then why in the world would they ever want to come to church? Why would they ever want to live moral lives? Why would they ever not consider changing their sex as to be something inappropriate? God didn't create them. There's no design for them. So they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. And this is the moral decay that we're in today. Because of 70-something years of this thing worming its way, this lie worming its way into the minds and hearts of a generation. Friend, I want you to know there is a God. He created you. He loves you. But He is the Creator. He is God. And you are not. And when you embrace that truth, then you realize, wait a minute. He created me. <laughs> then that leads you to another supposition. If He created you, then He has a purpose for you. If evolution is true, then here's the thing. We are the power, destructive power of evolution is that this. Number two, if there is no Creator, then there's no real purpose in life. There's no purpose in life. If you if you just happen if you're just happenstance, then there is no real reason to live. Why not eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? You're going to end up this life dead, whether it be at 80 or whether it be at 60 or whether it be at 20. Why not just live it to the fullest? Why not just be a mass rapist murderer? Why not do all of those things? Because there's no real purpose in life. There is no real meaning to it all. And this is what our young people are struggling And this is what our nation is struggling Is there really any morality anymore? No, because the giver of morality, the giver of order has been pushed aside and said he doesn't exist. And he surely doesn't explain the sciences. It surely doesn't explain the workings of the body and the workings of, of, of astronomy. He surely can't explain the workings of physics. The one who created this can't explain physics? Are you out of your mind? See, again, if your premise from the very beginning is foul, then what will happen is all of your outcomes will have fallacies. And so if you start with an experiment, and the very place where you're starting with the experiment is wrong and mishandled and misappropriated, then everything that comes out of that will be lies and untruths as well. And so what we see happening in this whole battle between creation, science, and evolutionism is all of the trying to, Christians trying to, to debate all of these different lies. Why? How about we just surrender to the fact that He is God, the creator of heaven and earth, and those who don't want to, God bless you, let me come to show you the real power of God and let you know the real presence of the one who created you because purpose is on board. When you and I have purpose, life has meaning. Where do we get our purpose from? From the one who created us. You say, well, I don't know why I'm here. Exactly. Because you haven't interacted with your creator. See, I want you to understand something. God loves you. And God made you. Let me give you a quote out of this beautiful passage in Colossians chapter 1. Pay attention to this one on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by Him all things were created. I'll say it again. 
For by him all things were created. Somebody don't say amen to that. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and the next piece and for him. Would you say by him? By say it again. By him by and him. for him. See, the Creator not only created you, but He also created you for Himself. Imagine, if you will, those of you that like to woodwork, or those of you that paint, or those of you that like to create things, you know, and you go out in your shed, and you take your saw, and you just start cutting wood, and when you finish, your wife walks in and says, what is it? And you say, I have no idea, I just felt like that. And nail it. None of us would do that in our right mind. What we would do is say, you know what, I want to build something. And this is going to be the purpose of that thing. Whether it be just something decorative that I want to look at and it's beautiful to me, or whether it's something that serves a purpose and it has an active reason for I needed to do this and accomplish this. And you would go into that shed and you begin designing it and you begin to work on it and you begin to plan out what would happen if this much weight was on it or this thing. How about you put it all designed together and then you begin to build it. And friend, when you built it, it would be yours. It would be built by you and it would be built for you. God created humanity for himself. See, you've got to understand, when God created all the things in the six days, all the animals, all the plants, all the earth, all the oceans, when he created all of that, at the last moment, he said, and now I will create another being that is like me. And he reaches down, the Bible says, into the dirt. And I picture that he kind of gets the dirt all muddy and does like a little mud man, you know, from Louisiana. So we, we like to play in the mud and we didn't have snow. And so he's just making a big mud man and it's just standing there, you know, clay kind of picture. And all of a sudden the Bible says that God takes it and he takes Adam and he breathes into him the breath of life. <gasps> and the DNA of God comes inside of man. His, his makeup, who he is. We're the only creature created in God's image. We were created by him, come on somebody, and for him. You missed it. Let's try it again. We were created by him and for him. We look like him. We talk like him. We act like him. We've got his DNA inside of us. That's why sin was so horrible. Because when we rebelled against God, someone else's DNA began to affect us and get down in our system. That of Satan or Lucifer. That's why Jesus said, you're not like, you're like your father Satan. You've got his DNA. You've got his tendencies. So as Christians, what happens is we get saved. We surrender ourselves to the living God. And there's this battle between our father's DNA that's at work in us and that flesh, as the Bible calls it, that constantly needs to be crucified. That's why Paul says the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I said I wasn't going to do, I end up doing. Who will deliver me from this sin nature? From this, this way, this thing that's in my DNA. That's why you don't have to tell a two-year-old in there, hey, go punch that little kid, take his toy from me. You don't have to take that. You just do it. Oh, my little blessing. I don't know where he learned that it's in his DNA. It's in his DNA. And so what has to happen is God looked at the world and said, ah, oh, oh, the very thing that I created for me. The thing that looks like me. Come on, listen, you might have five kids and one of them's the devil and he's still here at school Wrecked every car you ever had. Been to jail to get them 16 times. But they still yours, right? God looks out there and he goes, Ah, I love them so much. But their sin has separated them from me. And although I created them, and then I lost them to sin, 
I will do something that is so outside of the norm. I will now reach back into them. I will not only will I reach back in to, to try to bring them back to myself, but I'll send my only begotten Son, and whosoever will believe in Him should not die but have eternal life. And I will crucify Him on a cross. And His blood will be shed. And that cross will be like a bridge from them to me that they can come back to me. Why? Because I love them. Why? Because I created them. Why? Because they belong to me. They were created by me for me. And this is the danger of evolution. Because, no, you were happenstance. It was an accidental explosion. And over millions and millions and millions of years, you have evolved. In fact, they would say that as scientists, you've evolved past the little small, silly, mythical thought of a need for a God because we are gods ourselves, because we are the greatest on the planet. That would be the rebellion theology that would come from this type of thinking. And that's what we're dealing with today. That's our difficulty. Not only that Darwin was dealing with, but now Stephen Hawkins and his hate for God, who had served God and then got deadly sick and caused him to be quadriplegic that he is today. And the root of all of his denying of God and proving the theories comes from a broken heart, of a broken relationship between him and God that he created in his own self. And so these brilliant minds that we still grumbling and stumbling after because they call it science, the very premise of science, that they say that, oh, you're dumb, you don't understand science. The very premise of science is that you can make scientific discoveries based on order in the world. Remove that order and there is no science. You cannot have science without the orderliness, the by which they can judge and post-judge and see how that went and make experiments that it's going to always happen and put like this in a future dish. Oh, wow, there's something different because it put this other chemical. But that chemical is still that chemical. That order is still that order. And where did it come from? It came from the God of heaven. The reason why this is so precious is because God loves you and me. And he wants you. And the reason why this evolutionary theory is so damaging because it says there is no God at the end of it. And if there is no God, then why do we even attempt to live orderly lives? And why is there even a reason for living within itself? Can I tell you something? When I was a young man, um, I got pregnant with me out of bedrock. Some of you know my story. And I grew up in a situation that was very poverty, very difficult. And I was... Whatever Jonathan Finney said he was last week, I was that times 10. And I'll never forget my second grade teacher slapping me across the face because she couldn't give me a sense of it. Looking at me and says, You're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. It broke my little heart. And I accepted her truth that I was stupid and never amount to anything. Oh, but then Jesus saved my life. Filled me with his Holy Spirit. But that thing nagged at me that I was ignorant and I would never amount to anything. I struggled to learn to read. I struggled with education because I was pursued life and death with the power of God. Until I came across Ephesians 1 and verse 4. For the foundations of the earth, he picked you. And when I saw that, see, I had played enough basketball to know what it was to pick a team. And when I picked a team, I looked for the guys that I wanted to win. The first guy I picked was the tallest dude standing there. Anybody know why? I didn't need a point guard, I was already. 
I just need some big old dudes, block shots and dump. That's all I need. I had a plan and a purpose when I came to team. And so when God the Father says in Ephesians 1, verse 4, before the foundation, before I ever made the earth, I picked you. That meant that I wasn't a mistake. See, it doesn't matter if your mom got raped. It doesn't matter how you got here. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And all that, all that craziness about my personality and all the fact that I couldn't sit still and all the fact that my mind was always moving a thousand miles an hour was all part of God's plan because he had a reason for me so that I could minister in a way that others couldn't minister. Come on, somebody. That would be attractive for you to come back to church and know your God. And God made me that way, although it was weird to everybody else and difficult. And so difficult to educate that the worth of the worth and the value was there because he had a plan for me and a purpose for me, and that's why it makes no sense that you're sitting around living in depression and frustration and agitation when God not only created you, but he has a plan for you, and his plan is for you to live out his purposes on this earth. I want to tell you a couple things to help you see something a little bit better. Do you know the earth is spinning on its axis? A thousand miles an hour. Did you know that? A thousand miles an hour. I was laughing. Pastor Jonathan showed me one of these YouTube videos the other day. You know the little that they used to have in the parks. They don't have them quite as much. But the little merry-go-round thing you sit on it. You know your, your dad would push you. And you know, oh, Lord, I'm going to start you know this one. Well, these kids have been taking their motorcycles. Have you seen that? That's the funniest thing on the planet. And they, put, they lay their motorcycle inside, put the back tire up against this little thing, and they, they rev it up, and they put it in gear. And the guy sitting on the little merry-go-round thing, I guess that's what you call it, and all of a sudden, that tire begins to generate that force of that thing going around and around, and they get to going about 15, 20 miles an hour. And it's amazing how a human body can fly through the air. And then, and then they're, laying, they're hitting all against trees and stuff. It's awesome. They're only going 15, 20 miles an hour. A thousand miles an hour. And yet we don't lose one drop of water. How are those oceans staying in place? How are they? How, 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 are, how are we not flying off? Especially all those close to the equator. Where the speed's even a little quicker. And how, how are we not shooting off in the outer space? And the whole time this is moving a thousand miles an hour. It's also rotating around the sun. As it's spinning a thousand miles an hour. While the moon is going around it? How stupid can you be to not believe that there's intelligent design? What kind of faith does it take to believe that Eddie has dropped us off here? I know, I know, I, I, that's because you're from New Mexico. That's what you've been out in that desert. Grade 51 in it too much. Can you imagine them? A thousand miles of, as the earth begins to move around the sun, the moon, moon moves around it while it's all spinning. And if the earth, and now listen, do you understand what the sun is like? Let me give you, let me give you the power of the sun for just a second. The sun is a glowing hot ball of hydrogen. It derives energy from the fusion of hydrogen to helium in the core. And it never goes out. You've got burning chemicals that never go out. The, the, the sun effectively uh, is a stable hydrogen bomb. It is an extremely effective source of energy placed at just the right distance to provide the right amount of light and heat for the earth. Let this day be the sun. It's at the perfect distance. If we were just a little further this way, we would die because we didn't get enough heat. If we were just, look at Mars. If we 
grow a little closer, we burn up. All of our ecosystem would totally be destroyed if we even just got 200 miles closer, accidentally in our rotation. And we've been doing this for thousands of years. Are you with me? And then not only that, but do you know that in our solar system, the Milky Way, we have, they counted, they tried to count, a hundred billion stars. A hundred billion stars in the Milky Way alone. And the Bible talks about that he's numbered every one of those stars. He knows them by name. He knows a hundred billion stars by name. Oh, but let us not stop there. Because they theorized that the Milky Way is just one galaxy amidst a hundred billion galaxies. And our galaxy has a hundred billion stars, and there's another hundred billion galaxies with another hundred billion stars. And God knows them all by name. Hello, Twinkle Twinkle, you're looking good today. <laughs> he knows them all by name, and yet out of all of that, stay with me, he created you and me.
covenant. To have an opportunity to come to God through the Son, Jesus Christ. And to reject that, friend, you're setting your own destiny. Do not be angry at God on that day. For you made your own choice. Today, I want to give you another choice. If you've been away from God, you've never surrendered to His Lordship. You've never seen Him as your Creator. You've never allowed Him to have access to you. Then I want to give you a chance to make Him the Lord of your life. Maybe you would say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian. I used to serve God. But life happened. It just happened. And I looked up now. I don't know who He is. I don't know if He's even there. I'm so confused. Friend, confusion is easy in this hour. Oh, but to go back to the one who created you will clear up all the confusion. It'll give you purpose and reason today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if the Lord is dealing with your heart and you know it's time to give yourself to Him, you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. He's the way. If you want to confess Him as Lord and Savior, you want to come to the Creator and say, I'm yours and submit yourself to Him. I promise you, he'll give you purpose and reason. And life again will have meaning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm away from God. I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, don't look around. Would you lift your hand? Be honest about it. Own the fact. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Who else? Say, pray for me. God bless you, sir. I'm away from God. Thank you, sweet love. You can put your hand down. I saw it. I saw it. God bless you. Anybody else? You haven't your hand up yet. But you know you're away from God. I see it, sir. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. What a great man. Thank you, ma'am. I see it. God bless you, sweetheart. Put it back in. Yeah, God bless you, sweetheart. About three more seconds. I just don't want to move past this moment. The Creator is looking for His creation. Will you respond in this moment? Two more seconds. Pastor, that's me. Pray for me quickly. The tune, I'll include you in this. God bless you, buddy. Amen. You can put your hands down. He said, well, so I lifted my hands. So what do I do now? Well, I think you did most of it right there. You admitted you needed me. You recognize the fact that he's creator. That he made a way back to himself through Jesus Christ, his son. So the Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, he'll make you his. And so when every head bowed and every, cloud, every, every eye closed, those that lifted your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. Prayer of accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Prayer of submission to the Creator as your Lord. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray this prayer out loud with those who lifted their hands. And I want you to mean it. As they lift your hand, mean this with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus. Jesus. Well, you can do better. Jesus. Jesus. Today, today, I acknowledge, I acknowledge. I'm, a I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin and ask you to forgive me. I submit my life to the creator of my life. And I declare. Jesus is my Lord. I ask you here and now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name. In your book of life. I promise. To serve you. All the days of my life. Now say this last verse. I'd like to say Jesus. Reveal my purpose. Show me why I'm here. I know where I came from. Now show me where we're going. Father, we seal these prayers. Paul, we done. You keep your head bowed and your eye closed today. You didn't lift your hand for salvation because you already are a Christian. You already 
serving the Lord. You're doing your best to love God day in and day out. But friend, I'm telling you, some of you have bought into the lie that there's no reason for your existence. A creator would never create something that he didn't have a purpose for. He'd never go through all the painstaking effort to cause your life to continue on day in and day out if he didn't have a plan for it. Every day when you wake up, you should wake up and say, thank God, my creator loves me and I love him. And so as you stand there with your head bowed and your eye closed, some of you are looking for purpose. You've been trying to find it. You didn't find it in alcohol. You didn't find it in multiple wives. You didn't find, you didn't find it in business. Oh, business isn't bad. Being married is awesome. But knowing that for which he gave you life causes marriage to make sense. Knowing why and the destiny and the desires that he has for you on this planet causes the hiccups of life, the bumps, the, the bad things to not even affect you because you have purpose on board because you're living for a reason. And that's why death has no sting. It has no state. That's why it has no power for those of us who know our Creator. So today, as you stand there, I want you to ask Him under your breath, Lord, show me purpose today. Show me what you have for me. Show me the why. I know where now. I'm convinced of where, but I need to know the why and the where. Father, I thank you right now for your real truth to your people. Lord God, that they would have an understanding how deep, how wide is your love. They would embrace that you are good and that you have nothing but good things in store for them and plan for them. And Father, we just thank you right now. We repeal, reject, and push away the concept that there is no God. And we say for our generation, we'll be a proponent that you are there, that you love us, and that you have truth for us. Father, I thank you for some of the brightest minds on the planet coming to a real relationship with you. And Father, I thank you through those bright minds, understanding that from who they came from and understanding what he has for them, that Lord God, they'll come up with cures for cancer, be able to destroy poverty in the nations of the world. Lord, that you will give purpose and reason and meaning and life will be worth living all of our days in Jesus' name. Everybody shouted amen and amen. Oh,